Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, October 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, what happened at the Sanders rally on Saturday, a roundup of the strangest things candidates bought during Q3, a new poll brings good news for two candidates aiming for the November debate, a Florida judge rules that felons have the right to vote even if they still owe money, another Republican debate is coming, and Delaney offers a special contest for small-dollar donors. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, Senator Bernie Sanders is back. As I mentioned last week, Sanders held a major rally in Queens, New York on Saturday. As we expected, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was the special guest. But that wasn't all. The rally drew an estimated 26,000 people, which according to Politico is the single largest audience for any Democratic candidate so far this year. Senator Elizabeth Warren, by contrast, made headlines in September for a rally that drew 20,000 people. It was a sunny day in the park, with many supporters using their Bernie 2020 signs to shade their faces when they weren't waving them around. The rally began with a long speech by documentary filmmaker Michael Moore. Then, the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, Carmen Yulene Cruz, came up for her speech. Next up was former Ohio State Senator and current Sanders campaign co-chair Nina Turner. Then we had a speech by activist Tiffany Caban, a public defender who narrowly lost last year's primary for Queens District Attorney. And then Ocasio-Cortez took the stage and delivered her endorsement. As part of her remarks, she said, quote, When I was a child that relied on CHIP so that I could see a doctor, Bernie Sanders fought for a single-payer health care system. When the federal government decided to discriminate and abandon my queer family and friends, Bernie Sanders was putting his career on the line for us. End quote. After more than an hour of introductory speeches, link in the show notes to the full video, by the way, Sanders himself took the stage. He thanked the previous speakers and said he would be traveling with Ocasio-Cortez on the campaign trail. And here's a clip of what he said right before diving into the main part of his speech. Listen in. I am more than ready to assume the office of President of the United States. I am more than ready to take on the greed and corruption of the corporate elite and their apologists. I am more ready than ever to help create a government based on the principles of justice, economic justice, racial justice, social justice, and environmental justice. To put it bluntly, I am back. Sanders then spent an hour at the podium delivering a new speech emphasizing inclusivity and a variety of policy proposals. Reading from a Politico article by Holly Otterbein, quote, Three state senators from New York, Mike Gianaris, Jessica Ramos, and Luis Sepulveda, revealed Saturday that they are supporting Sanders as well. 
In addition to showing Sanders can draw a larger crowd than Warren, his team also used the rally to subtly draw policy contrasts between the two candidates. His affordable housing and climate change plans, which both go beyond what she has proposed, were discussed at the event. End quote. Next up, one of my favorite little political details around money. When the candidates file their fundraising and expense reports with the Federal Election Commission, they have to disclose what they spent their money on. And then, journalists get to spend endless hours combing through the FEC database looking for anything wacky that might jump out. This time, it was Zach Montalero of Politico who did the digging. I'm just going to read a few highlights from Montalero's article, and I strongly encourage you to check out the link in the show notes to enjoy the rest. I am purposely leaving out some of the best stuff here because he really earned that click. Okay, first up, quote, Former Vice President Joe Biden, who famously loves ice cream, spent over $3,800 at Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream in Columbus, Ohio, for donor gifts. He also personally visited the shop in 2016 while he was vice president to talk about federal overtime rules and declaring, my name is Joe Biden and I love ice cream, end quote. Next up, a candidate who is reusing a presidential campaign swag item for another race. Quote, the day Representative Eric Swalwell dropped out of the presidential race, his campaign transferred some of its assets to his House campaign committee as he prepares to run for re-election in California's 15th Congressional District. That includes over $7,000 worth of shoelaces, branded with the hashtag Swalwelling, a reference to the congressman's habit of snapping pictures of his shoes when he boards airplanes heading back to his district from D.C. End quote. And last up, an item from a man who knows which budget hotel he likes. Quote, When you're on the road, sometimes you see hotels more than your own bed. For former Representative Joe Sestak, that meant one particular hotel. His campaign paid $14,000 to the same Econo Lodge Inn and Suites in Des Moines, Iowa, over the course of the quarter. End quote. Okay, so I could seriously go on for 10 minutes about this, but I won't go check the link, and before you read it, just ask yourself, which candidate hired a local DJ named DJ Prince Ice in South Carolina to DJ at a campaign event? Apparently, DJ Prince Ice is really great, by the way. Find out at that link in the show notes. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
In a new poll released today by CNN slash SSRS, two candidates picked up qualifying poll results for the November debate. But first, I gotta tell you the methodology. The poll was conducted from October 17th through 20th via phone and reached 1,003 adults overall with a subset of 424 registered voters who are either Democrats or Democratic-leaning independents. The poll has an overall margin of error of plus or minus 3.7 percentage points, but that Democratic subset has a much higher margin of plus or minus 5.8 percentage points. Okay, so what did the poll tell us about qualifying for the November debates? Well, Senator Amy Klobuchar picked up her third qualifying poll, and former Texas Representative Beto O'Rourke picked up his second. Both of them got just 3%, but that's all they needed. So Klobuchar is looking like she may indeed make that stage. In addition to those two, we also have Gabbard, who has just one poll, so she needs three more. By the way, in the corrections department, in yesterday's story about who has qualified already for that debate, I neglected to actually list the names of, you know, the people who have already qualified for the debate. So here they are in alphabetical order. Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Harris, Sanders, Steyer, Warren, and Yang. One more note on this CNN slash SSRS poll it had an extremely good number for Biden. Now, keep in mind the margin of error is unusually high on this one at 5.8%, but still, he had 34% among registered Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents in the national vote. The next two candidates below him were Warren at 19% and Sanders at 16%. With this number and a couple of other recent strong polls for Biden, he is now back at the top of the Real Clear Politics polling average, with an average of 28.9% to Warren's 23%. Sanders is next at 16.3%. Over at the Economist's polling average, at least as I say this, Biden and Warren are still tied at 25% each, with Sanders behind them at 15%. Links to all that stuff in the show notes in case you want to dig into the numbers. Late last week, a Florida judge handed down a decision that may have real electoral implications for the state. Reading here from an article by Lori Rosa in the Washington Post, quote, The right to vote for 1.4 million felons in Florida got a boost Friday when a federal judge ruled that the state can't prevent felons from voting, even if they can't afford to pay court-ordered fines and fees. This latest chapter in the ongoing battle between voting rights activists and the Republican-led state legislature and Governor Ron DeSantis is a win for those who want their voting rights restored. We are thrilled that the judge ruled in our favor and said voting should not be pay-to-play, said Patty Brigham, president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Last November, Floridians overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment that restored voting rights to most felons once they completed their sentences, making it the largest expansion of voting rights in the country in 50 years. Thousands of felons registered after the amendment took effect on January 8th. But in June, DeSantis signed a law that said only felons who had paid all fines, fees, and restitution could register to vote. Voting advocates estimate that this would impact between 500,000 to 800,000 felons. On Friday, U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle ruled that the state can ask that the fines be paid, but it can't bar anybody from voting if they can't afford to pay. 
End quote. The story goes on to describe one of the key challenges for felons in Florida, which is simply figuring out what exactly they owe, if anything. For example, it covers the story of Tampa resident Clifford Tyson, whose right to vote was restored by the ballot measure and allowed him to vote for the first time in 42 years. He is now a pastor and also a felon who served his time decades ago for armed robbery and theft. But despite repeated attempts to figure out whether he owes any fines or fees or restitution, county and state government can't seem to figure it out. So Tyson was one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit saying he is afraid to vote because he can't get a straight answer on whether that would be breaking the law. Well, at least for now, he has that answer. This ruling should apply for the imminent election in November, though there will be more on this early next year. Reading once more from the Washington Post, quote, Judge Hinkle noted that while the Florida Supreme Court will hear a different lawsuit on the issue next month, time is running out for felons who want to vote. Local elections will take place in November around the state, and the presidential primary is in March. When an eligible citizen misses an opportunity to vote, the opportunity is gone forever. The vote cannot later be cast, Hinkle wrote. So when the state wrongly prevents an eligible citizen from voting, the harm is irreparable. End quote. Meanwhile, in the Republican primary, the three challengers to President Trump have organized to attend another unsanctioned debate in Nashville. Now, by unsanctioned, I mean the Republican National Committee has nothing to do with this. But then again, they didn't have anything to do with the Business Insider Republican primary debate last month either, and that actually went pretty well. Reading here from a Bloomberg summary by Gregory Court, quote, Politicon, a nonpartisan annual unconventional political convention that brings together politicians and satirists, announced Tuesday that former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, former South Carolina Representative Mark Sanford, and former Illinois Representative Joe Walsh will meet Saturday for their first debate. The Nashville event will be just the second joint appearance by the three challengers, who gave a three-way interview to MSNBC's Morning Joe on September 23rd. End quote. So the context there is that Sanford missed the Business Insider debate, making that one a two-person contest. The Politicon debate will be held this Saturday, that's October 26th, between 11 a.m. and noon local time in Nashville. Now, I don't have any info yet on streaming or other outside-the-room viewing options, but if they come across my desk, I will let you know. And last up today, former Maryland Representative John Delaney, who has mostly self-funded his campaign, has a new contest. And weirdly enough, the odds on this contest seem to be really good. Delaney announced that donors giving $1 or more in the next few days will be entered into a prize drawing. The winner goes to the World Series Game 4 this Saturday, along with a guest. And yes, travel and lodging are included. Now, there have been lots of little contests and stuff like this before. Like at one point, Mayor Pete Buttigieg had a drawing like this to get Hamilton tickets in San Francisco. But we have to examine the odds here, in part because we know Delaney has relatively few individual donors. Now, I haven't seen any reporting that actually lists the precise number of individual donors to Delaney during recent months. Fortunately, the U.S. government has a database for that. 
I went to the FEC's website and downloaded the raw data for Delaney's donors between 2018 and 2019. Now, it is still raw data, so it might not be 100% correct, like we might have some duplicates or mistakes in there. But once you exclude the payments from Delaney himself, plus the political action committees and organizations, you end up with just 967 individual donations in Q3. The total number of donors could be even lower. Now, we are excluding PACs and organizations and a few other categories that may, in fact, represent real donors. But still, I mean, go look at the database yourself if you want. I've linked it in the show notes at the bottom. Even looking at the historical grassroots donations for Delaney, I'm not seeing a ton of people on that list. So, if Delaney's donor base remains the same from quarter to quarter, which is by no means guaranteed, especially given this new contest, in theory, you might be buying a $1 raffle ticket with about a 1 in 1,000 chance to see a World Series game with tickets that typically cost about 1000 bucks each, plus travel, plus lodging, plus bring a friend. So, while I'm not endorsing donations to any given candidate, and my math could very well be wrong, you may want to check the FEC website for yourself, think about whether you're doing anything on Saturday, and consider the odds here. This may, in fact, be one of those rare contests with surprisingly decent odds. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, here in Portland, we have entered the season where limbs fall off the Doug fir trees. So here's the deal. In the wild, Doug firs grow in fairly thick forests, and they basically lean their branches on one another as a way to avoid losing those long, spindly limbs when the wind blows. But some genius decided to plant just three of these in my backyard a hundred years ago. <laughs> and that's not really enough to do all of the leaning required. So every year, we bring out the arborists, we just did that a couple of months ago, and they climb the trees, and they trim things up, and they make sure everything is as safe as it can be inside a city. Well, we had a little wind over the weekend, and now I have a 15-foot branch to cut up and chuck into the compost bin. So, welcome to the season, that is my yarden task for this weekend. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.